Welcome to the True Falls Film Festival. Hi. Welcome to the True False Podcast, presented by KBIA. I'm Sebastián Martínez Valdivia, and I'm one of the producers on the show. We're technically still in our off-season, which means regular episodes won't resume until this winter. But I had the opportunity to talk with True False alum Robert Green, whose most recent film, Bisbee 17, screened at last year's festival and is airing nationally on PBS July 15th. Bisbee follows a community in southern Arizona as it contends with the 100th anniversary of a traumatic event, the armed arrest and deportation of more than a thousand striking miners into the middle of the desert. The deportation was driven by a few different factors, including xenophobia, nationalism, and labor rights, all of which are very much a part of the current national conversation. In our conversation, the film served as a jumping off point to talk about engagement and exploitation in documentaries, two common topics of discussion within the world of nonfiction film. For those who haven't seen Bisbee 17, can you describe generally what the film's about? So we went back to this town, Bisbee, Arizona, a place that I really adore, a place I love, um, that I've been going to since 2003. My my mother-in-law actually bought a house there for like a weird vacation home, which is, if you've seen the movie or if you've ever heard of Bisbee, it's a strange place to have a quote-unquote vacation home. It's an old mining shack, basically. Um, she's a historian, so this is the kind of thing she would do. Um, uh, we we go back to Bisbee for the 100th anniversary of the Bisbee deportation, which was uh, an event where the the local sheriff and led and led a sort of mining a group of uh, vigilantes that were made up of mine bosses and other folks who rounded up uh, two thousand striking miners who were had been radicalized by the industrial workers of the world, uh, 1917, so 100 years before this and rounded them up and threw them onto cattle cars and shipped 1,200 of them to the middle of the desert and just left them there. And it was a, you know, a violent sort of uh, act against labor that happened in town. It happened at the height of World War I. And it's a scar that sort of never healed in the town. So we go back to the town and recreate that event with people on both sides of the argument today. And we recreated it um, on the 100th anniversary itself. So that's what the film is sort of leading up to. And then you see how that all transpires. And then your previous films, I mean, Fake It So Real, Actress, Kate Place Christine, they're all partially, if not completely interested in performance and different aspects of performance. So how did that come into play with Bisbee and this reenactment? It's weird because I, when I went first to two, in 2003, it was a... a original idea. This is five or six years before I made my first feature film. And I, uh, the first thought I had after reading Robert Houston's Bisbee 17, which I read, I started reading when I was there and learning about the deportation when I was first there, my first trip to Bisbee, my first thought was, let's recreate it with the town. 
um, just let's just recreate this. Uh, I think I was inspired partly by an article I'd read from uh, a film that Travis Wilkerson, the filmmaker behind films like An Injury to One and uh, the Fired the Gun film that I can never remember the full title of. Um, I was inspired by something I read about him doing some recreation thing with the with a local town and like working through some labor history stuff and. And I was just like, that's awesome. And but having no idea how to do it and no idea really even why I was interested at it at that. You know, I was doing short films. I was working a lot, um, but I wasn't even thinking about directing films in that way. And then so that so it sort of is the payoff in some ways for me of of those other films you mentioned. I, you know, um, my first film, Owning the Weather, has a little bit about performance of just like hubris in a way. Um, then Katie with an eye is about a teenager performing, you know, what it's like to be an adult. Fake It So Real is about professional wrestlers. Actress is about an actor. Uh, Kate Place Christina is about an actor working through something. And so I'd sort of been moving in this direction. And finally, I realized it was the 100th anniversary. And it was like, this is the time to make that film that probably started the whole thing in, in the beginning. And why did it start the whole thing in the beginning was because when you walk down the streets of Bisbee, you feel like you're on a movie set. And when you're in the West, you feel like, you know, you're watching people around you enact a sort of mythological idea of the West, which is a founding sort of myth of this country and remains a sort of vital uh, set of symbols and and, uh, performances that, you know, animate all kinds of political debates today, including things like, the good guy with a gun myth and sort of, you know, rugged uh, individualism and all these things that 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 resonate today. So when you're in Bisbee, these performances are first and foremost in the front of your mind because the post office is the same post office that the men were rounded up and, you know, at gunpoint, you know, a 100 years prior. So I think it just sort of gelled in that way so it's a payoff of those of the ideas that we were working through with mini films in some ways it's it with the the other films were building up to this i would say and um and then but it's also not about me at all it's very much about the west and very much about bisbee i think and it's also because you did such a large-scale reenactment you had to get the entire community involved kind of in, in some way how did you go about doing that and how important was it for you to engage with the community in that way well there's only only way to do it i mean so the idea was that when we finally see this staged version and reenactment is a weird thing to say because it, it it's more like a performance piece in town you know we certainly we're playing with the idea of Western iconography and Western images and all kinds of movie references in there. Um, we're certainly playing with genre and all these things. The movie's part musical, part like you know social realist, part Western, part you know all these things that we're kind of playing with. Um, but the idea was that when you get there, you know the people well enough to to be able to understand what it means to go through this for the town. It's not a reenactment in the sense of we hired actors and we staged something so that the story is clear. It's much more important that you understand what the people are feeling. So you know who Fernando is. You know who Richard is. You know who the Grams are. You know that there are all kinds of legacies and histories and personal stories that are leading people to this pivotal moment of staging this. And so the only way to do that is to find stories. So I, we were effectively making two films at once for the, my producers. I have like the best producers, Doug Tarola, Susan Bedusa, and Bennett Elliott. And they're all 
um, you know, I made their life a living hell in some ways as the director of this film and the editor because I direct to edit, you know, which is a weird thing to do sometimes. So sometimes I just know I'm getting as much material as I possibly can so I can play in the edit, edit room, which is what I really want to do. But basically I was asking them to produce two films at once. It was do all the things you need to do for the fiction aspect or more like the performance art aspect, which is, you know, we had to, we had to lock down, we had to basically secure downtown Bisbee. We had to, at one point, shut down the entire highway, which no one had ever done before. We had to, we had to build a train on the exact you know, rail bed of where the train pulled up and, and shipped those miners away. And, and I, we should say that, you know, of course, I, had, I didn't mention in the, 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 the talk about the film, it's Bisbee's an old copper mining center. The, the mining company that came after Phelps Dodge. Phelps Dodge was the principal company there, one of four major companies there, but Phelps Dodge was the biggest. The company that came after is still in town. And even though they're not doing, the mines actually closed in 1975, but they're doing chemical mining and they still have a large stake in aspects of the town, including owning the rail bed that we basically illegally built our train on and then, you know, almost had to tear it down or we basically dared them to make, make the film about how they wouldn't let us do it, you know. So there was a lot of forces at work there with the fiction aspect of it. But the documentary aspect, even I would say the journalist aspect of it was to populate those roles, I couldn't tell, I couldn't let them just go, you know, find extras and find stars of the movie and cast the movie because we need to follow the stories that led us there. It, it had to be, yes, we're going to have, we know the locations we need. We know the costumes, we know the makeup, we know the, 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 the scripted aspect of this. But in order for that scripted aspect to mean anything, we have to follow all these stories. So that, of course, you know, meant knowing what Fernando had gone through, knowing that Richard had a very complicated view of Sheriff Harry Wheeler, the sort of principal antagonist in some ways, knowing that, you know, the Graham family came from, an, you know, a mining family that were more on the side of the mine bosses, knowing that Fernando's mother was deported and that she basically was in jail in both the U.S. and Mexico and and that the, he didn't know anything about the deportation and he had to think about how this related or if it related at all. All those aspects were animating what the performance piece that became the large-scale recreation was going to be. So we had to engage with the community and they had and they had to lead us to where we were going basically. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in that question of engagement because that's something that comes up when you're pitching a film, when you're trying to get funding, people always ask you, you know, what's the engagement aspect of this. So Generally, what, what does that mean to you to to engage with the subjects of your film or in some way engage the audience? Well, it, for one, for the subjects, I mean, we're going, I'm, you know, I was just on the phone a minute ago with Steve Ray, who's in the film, um, who's talking to his mom, Sue Ray, who's in the film. Uh, Sue Ray's grandfather deported his own brother and Steve and his brother Mel recreate that in the film. And there were, I'm... Uh, scheduling them for a panel um, of conversations that we're going to have at the Copper Queen Library in Bisbee for the 102nd anniversary of the deportation. So um, our plan for one is to come back every year. Last year, we came back and showed the film for the first time in town on the 100th anniversary, our 101st anniversary, sorry. The film was filmed over the 100th. We came back for the 101st, showed the film, and it was one of the most cathartic sort of Thing. I, Mike Anderson, who's in the film, he's a historian. He just said, this can never be buried again, um, the story. And that meant everything to us. Um, 
then this year we're going back because the film is playing on um, PBS on POV on July 15th. And um, so that's three days after the 102nd anniversary. So we'll be there for that that day with a day full of talks, a day full of engagements, and sort of following up with people, following up with what are the new developments in town, how, with the research that was started because of the centennial, where is that? Things like Steve Ray, who's in the film, as I just said, he's now leading his, history tours and, and, and these Jeep tours around town. So he talks about the film and he talks about the deportation. He's done his own research since we introduced this. Like He's now done his own research on his uncle Archie, who was deported, and found out all these amazing things. Um, so that's part of our engagement is just staying – we're going to go back every year and and – Going back to town is just fun. For, for, I always love to come back to town, but it's also about just like the film is meant to start a conversation or actually, and that's, that's not even fair. The film galvanized a conversation that was already happening. We didn't start anything. And it's important to note that we galvanized and sort of amplified a, a conversation that was already taking place in the community. And now we're just going to continue to be a part of that going back. Um, I mean, I'd like to go back every single year. So that's one aspect of it. I mean, engagement, but it's now more than ever totally crucial to understand that the the documentary process, it it used to feel maybe less important and when people were less savvy generally about media, as media literacy generally is increasing, and and I think it's decreasing in some ways and increasing in other ways, so I don't think that's a straight line or anything. People get it now. I mean, it, one of, it's fun to look at Frederick Wiseman's films, for example, over the 50 years plus that he's been making films and think about how different the, the awareness of the camera is throughout the process. He makes the same film over and over again, right? But his later films are so different because people are so aware of the process of being filmed, right? Well, that is one way of thinking about engagement and why it's so crucial because you are making films with people who get it. Period. It's almost impossible. At least I don't want to make films with people who don't get it. So the the nature of collaborating with with people, subjects, communities, etc., is so much more important than now than it maybe was before because people are expecting collaboration. They're expecting engagement. They're expecting this thing that they're participating in to be something that is going to help the things that they care about, and that's you know, important. So, uh, it's, which is great. It's like, it's documentary filmmakers are often, I mean, the documentary process is inherently exploitative. It's inherently, you're taking someone's story. And sometimes in our case for Bisbee, multiple people's stories, and we're shaping them as we see fit. And that is an exploitative process period. And there's no backing down from that. So how do you compensate for or fix or balance that exploitation, engagement is one way to do it. And um, and having the film actually be useful to people. And so that's important. Given the national moment that we're experiencing with detention centers on the southern border, with deportations being in the center of everything, in your film, there are moments, even though it's a performance and even though most of the performers with like one hilarious and terrifying exception aren't professionals, don't have any professional experience, there are some moments that that feel, you know, extremely visceral that 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 are emotional, like the the brothers who you mentioned, for example. Now that you have this national platform with the documentary airing on on PBS, what what are you hoping that people will take away from it in in this context, in this present political context? Well, um, 
we were I was just talking to Lori McKenna, who is uh, the artist in the film who's doing her penny rubbings as part of her art practice. Uh, and she uh, is part of the recreation that day. And she had an incredibly emotional reaction that day. And we were just talking about how, you know, everyone right now in Bisbee on the border in general is is paralyzed by what's going on on the border. Um, the uh, the. The detention centers, the, um, I mean, the things that, I, I, I'm not even going to say the things that it's being compared to because it, it's just, it's hard to talk about. It's, it's the most un-American thing. It, well, it's probably the most American thing. It's the, the thing that flies in the face of everything that we said, so, supposedly stand for. It is um, a true tragedy. And we were talking about how when we're back for the 102nd anniversary here in a couple weeks it should we have shifted up and like maybe talk about it directly of course we don't need to do that because it's going to be in every single conversation that we have is going to be about how this film and what we did is not metaphor it's not history repeating itself it literally is the dna of this country it is the the idea that neighbors would round up their neighbors at gunpoint based on being led by the propaganda of pro-war propaganda, uh, patriotism, so, quote unquote, would round up their neighbors and ship and say, you have to leave town because otherwise we're going to kill you. Is essentially what happened. Because we believe that you are un-American. You don't belong here. They were, to be very clear, it was Anglo-Saxons rounding up mostly Mexicans, Slavs, Germans, basically not, there was one Anglo-Saxon rounded up that day. And this is, like I said, this is not a metaphor. This is not just like, wow, that's crazy that that happened and sometimes history repeats itself. It literally is what we've built the, this country on, the myth of the American dream and the destruction of that myth uh, periodically uh, with Japanese internment camps or with what's happening right now or the, you know, and which is not, the thing is, is of course, what's happening right now is not Trump. It is a, the, the longstanding uh, story, for lack of a better word, and this is the awful, awful climax of that story that's been going on for many, many years. So when you watch the film, just know that every, that, you know, when we first started talking about the movie, people did not want to recreate that day at first. And they didn't know, not everybody, but some people were like, I don't really know what that means. Tombstone is 20 minutes away. Tombstone recreates a fake history five times daily, right? Bisbee does not want to be Tombstone. They certainly were wary of recreating such an awful wound, you know, creating event in their history. But by the time we're in July of 2017, when this happened, we were post-election, the crisis on the border was accumulating and getting worse and worse. Trump was, was showing his hand. There was, you know, all this stuff. Every single person who was involved that day, no matter their political beliefs, knew what we were doing. They knew the images that we were creating. When those brothers recreating the, their grand, great-grandfather and great-uncle, the scene from them, they knew what they were doing. Lori knew what she was doing. Fernando knew what he was doing. Richard and James West, the, the actor you referred to a second ago, 
they and they have different they all have different political views they all knew what they were doing they knew that they were showing the world what happens when we don't stop because it's also i mean it's you know you have people in period dress but you also have a shopkeeper who's just in you know a modern convenience shop who gets pulled out yeah the day that i locked that scene and figure out where it was going to go and how to edit it i remember closing the the um, and I've told the story before, but closing the editing, you know, Premiere down the editing software, opening it up, uh, opening up the news. And it was the day that 107 Elevens were raided across the country by ICE. Um, literally the same images that we had just created. So when you watch the film, just know that the town knew. That's important, and the choice was not to back down from this knowledge, but to embrace the knowledge and to create something out of it. And that's not us. That's not me, Robert, being some smart guy. That's not our producers. The producers are great. That's not Jared who shot the film or Rob or any or the Ross brothers or who, anyone else was there. That's literally the town was said, you have given us the opportunity by happenstance almost because we started filming before. I've been wanting to make this film for 15 years. We started filming before Trump was elected with no idea that he would be elected. The town said, you gave us this stage, we're going to put on a show. And that show is what they put on. And it's to say to the world, don't forget this. And now we know why. Robert Green is a filmmaker and editor whose previous films include Kate Plays Christine, Actress, and Fake It So Real. His most recent film, Bisbee 17, showed at last year's festival and is airing next week, July 15th, on PBS. So if our conversation piqued your interest, you can check it out then. That's it for this week's episode of the True False Podcast. We'll be back with our regular season this winter. But in the meantime, you can find all our previous episodes at kbia.org or on your podcast app of choice. Our music was created by Tim Pilcher using sounds from the True False Film Fest. I'm Sebastian Martinez Valdivia. Thanks for listening. <laughs>